Good afternoon, everybody. Yeah, good afternoon. It's so good to see you. I want to thank you for coming uh, to this May version of Happy Hour with Pastor Dale, tackling tough topics with uplifting love and grace. And uh, if you're new to this, uh, we try to do this every month if we're able. And um, I invite somebody in from our community to come and share a little bit of some expertise that they might have on topics that relate to um, our Lighthouse family and extended recovery community. And, um, and, and then we try to live stream it. So I want to welcome anybody who might be watching live stream uh, either on Facebook or on YouTube. And I know that there will be people watching in the future um, as this gets replayed. So uh, thanks for coming, and I want you to welcome our, our guest for today. Uh, this is Elena Zeller, and Elena um, is the, I want to I say it right, because she would be quick to say she's the interim director still um, at Southeast Human Services here in Fargo. And um, I have uh, served on a community relations group that uh, sometimes um, interacts with uh, the, the goings-on at Southeast Human Services, so I've gotten to know Elena there a little bit. Um, but um, our ministry here is very much um, tied to and, and connected to the, the work of Southeast Human Services. So um, Elena uh, was so gracious enough to give us some of her time and come and share with us some of the, the things that are going on there and the, the changes and dynamics in the social services uh, field. So, um, welcome, and thank you for being thank here. Thank you. Thanks for having um, me. Why don't you, let's just start by introducing yourself, and what would you like us to know about you? Because I gave them the brief professional aspect. Yeah. But, yeah, just to make it a little more human, because I obviously I work for the state government, but I am a person behind that. Yeah. And so um, I'm born and raised and lived all my life in North Dakota. I'm from small town, western North Dakota. I'm very passionate about what I do for a living, and that's something I'm very grateful for, that what I'm connected to every day that, I, that I'm doing for my job is also what I'm very passionate about in my personal life. Um, I uh, am a certified suicide intervention trainer, because suicide has affected me quite personally and deeply. I'm a rape and abuse advocate for um, victims of domestic violence. And um, in my spare time, I'm an avid music collector slash connoisseur. I don't know. Um, so I like to jam. Um, that's a little bit about me. Hmm. Well, welcome. So this is uh, some of our Lighthouse family and, yeah. and guests and um, others probably watching. So, um, so um, we have met and kind of talked through some things that um, I would like to you know, bring before us today. Um, and um, one of the things that um, we kind of want to do is just talk about the role of human service centers um, in North Dakota, as well as in, um, South, in Fargo and Southeast Human Services. I don't know if there's been some different dynamics that have gone on in other parts of the state, but um, here's the deal. Um, in my time at Lighthouse Church, which is nearing a decade now, there's been a lot of changes yeah. A lot of changes within the, um, the human service centers and how services are delivered and, and what they're able to do. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of giving you this blanket start. Can you just talk about that? Yeah, I've been with Southeast for 19 years. And so I started as a case manager and worked caseloads and, and, and kind of worked my way through management. And so I appreciate that perspective when I'm doing my role now because um, it has changed a lot. When I first started, we had kind of an open policy where anybody that, you know, was asking for service, we would kind of treat across the board. So you'd see individuals that maybe were coming in with episodic depression, um, maybe had gotten a, you know, DUI, um, families who were stressed, those kinds of things, and we were treating. What was happening over time that I noticed was our wait times, and I don't know, people might have experienced this in this community that are in this room, we would book out, and one of my jobs was to take calls at the front desk and book appointments. We were booking out eight, 12 weeks. So somebody was calling in for, I need help, I need help today, and we're like, that's great, I hope you can make it, here's your next appointment, it's 12 weeks from now, you hang in there, we'll see mm -hmm. you soon, right? And everybody knows that when it comes to behavioral health, that doesn't work. Um, to, to not get services or your needs met when you're calling in for help. It just doesn't work. So I think as time has gone on and what we've seen in the community is 
the water level has had to raise and we've kind of had to raise up with it to kind of keep our feet from getting soaked. And as our population has grown in this region and Southeast serves region five, which is a six county region in our area in North Dakota. And as our population has grown, I talk to people and they're like, well, yeah, but doesn't the state legislature then increase funds so that it kind of meets that population growth? And I was like, that's not how it automatically works, right? So we haven't seen probably the amount of resource allocation that has kept up with the needs of the community. And people know that. Um, one of the things that happened for me was at, at COVID, when COVID was happening and after COVID was happening, people were like, there's a behavioral health crisis. Aren't you aware of this? What are you doing about it? And I almost chuckled to myself because I feel like my 19 years in the behavioral health field, we've been in a behavioral health crisis. And um, so when people were saying that at COVID, I'm like, yeah, join in. This is what's been going on for us. You know, yeah. we've kind of been allocating resources. So I think the thing we had to focus on is what can we do with what we've got and who can we serve? How can we be specialized in serving individuals that maybe don't have choices to go to other places, that maybe other nonprofits or privates can serve in a robust way? And so we're trying to fit a niche where we can't serve everybody, we know that. And so we're trying to specialize in serving um, individuals that are interfacing a lot with hospitals, emergency departments, law enforcement, um, experiencing homelessness, um, a lot of things going on in their life. We're training and specializing our staff then to do wraparound care um, for, for individuals with dealing with very, very chronic disease management that other maybe places can't bill insurance for. It's not reimbursable. There's all these kind of added expenses. Okay, so you, you got into my next question already. Um, that was very, very good. And so um, I think one of the things that I kind of want you to help us understand is, is um, who can come to Southeast and get services um, and who doesn't? Um, because um, we kind of find that that's a, sometimes a fine line, and that has changed a little bit over time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if you want to share any more about that, but what, what, what things can I come to Southeast for and receive services, and why might I receive them there, and why might I not? Right, okay. So I think where I'll start with that is anybody can come over. We want, we desire to be... We, the community wants a place to refer individuals that can be kind of a clearinghouse, right? This is the place you can go. They'll figure out what's going on, know the resources in the community, and connect that individual. We're working towards that. We still will do that. Anybody that comes in the front door, um, you know, we get folks that come in and want to fill out food stamp application. That's not... That's not what we do, but we'll, we'll get you connected, right? So it's no wrong door that way. But to actually receive treatment services, someone would need to have, most likely, not in all cases, but a severe mental illness and a substance use disorder on board. So kind of that dual diagnosis with a chronic nature to it. So if... Um, somebody's, you know, been through treatment other places, experienced an inpatient stay, maybe just got out of car incarceration, um, came to town from another state experiencing homelessness and needing very heavy-duty medications. So we're looking at people that need antipsychotic injectable medication. Um, that's not offered in a lot of areas. Um, we're, we have a Clozeril clinic, which is a kind of the gold standard antipsychotic medication for individuals who have trialed other medications and it hasn't worked. Um, we will treat individuals with a kind of wraparound approach. So a therapist, addiction counselor, case manager, skills trainer, nurse on board. So somebody's going to need all of those things. If somebody's coming in, and I use this as an example because it applied to me at one point in my life, if somebody's coming in and needing like therapy to help through a divorce, right, that's not something we're going to take on. We're going to help you get connected to a therapist in the community that is taking your insurance or that offers maybe a reduced fee or sliding fee scale. But if you're coming in and saying, hey, my probation officer said I got to come over, this is what's going on, I just got out of Sanford, um, I'm needing to get connected, we'll do an assessment then and most likely you'll qualify for wraparound care. We're targeting individuals that have a high functional impairment due to their disease. So somebody who's really having a lot of life uh, struggles, needing a lot of support in those kind of social determinants of health. 
areas. Okay, so you know that was, and and I don't know that 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 maybe has not changed so much in the last years as much as that group has narrowed a little bit. Would you agree with that? And yeah, um, it, it it just because of the overwhelming need um, and the limited resources, you know, it's kind of the we treat the ones who need the services chronically or seriously. Absolutely. Where we're, we're sitting right now is we're forced to look at those individuals that are in acute crisis or in, in dire need of services now. We're in a wait list situation um, as we speak today. Um, so right now we're not even able to take on our caseloads are at capacity. And this is no surprise and I know we'll get to this later, but um, staffing, if you're in the service industry, staffing is an issue. We are in a service industry. And so um, getting trained professionals to do the work um, in our sector is very difficult. So um, we'll, we will always offer crisis service. We have 24-hour crisis response, and we will see anybody who comes in the door and try to assist. Um, but as far as matching treatment today, there might be time that it'll take in between there. We're going to try to keep it as close to nothing as we can and, and get people in, but um, it's been a very difficult decision for us to have to start waitlisting. And I think that we, we are seeing that even though we were assigning cases, individuals weren't getting the dosage they need. And I was like this analogy. Somebody much, much smarter than me told me this one time that um, sometimes it feels like we're trying to manage diabetes with a monthly dose of insulin. Hmm. And that's just not enough when somebody is going to need it daily, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um, so so I, you kind of went through it really quick. What are the variety of so somebody who fits that dual diagnosis need and um, you know has a kind of a serious um, is in a serious condition and needing services? What are the variety of services that they would then be plugged into through Southeast? And is that kind of consistent with other places in North Dakota as well? So the human service centers are trying to become more consistent from region to region, but all regions have different needs too. So back in my hometown sure. region where my family's living right now, very different needs from where we're at here in the Fargo area. And so we're matching hopefully to meet whatever the need of that region is, but a lot of things have become more consistent. And this dual diagnosis treatment is definitely something that um, we're focusing towards in all the regions. Um, we've, we offer kind of that multidisciplinary team approach, which is nice because when I first started, people, they'd get that eight to 12 week appointment for a mental health assessment. And then that's great. And we're going to have somebody treat you for this. And then in a few more weeks, you're going to meet an addiction counselor and they're going to assess for that part of your life. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to treat you for that. And the addiction counselor is not going to talk about the mental health and the mental health is not going to talk about the addiction. And any of us that have lived with that know there's no separation, right? There, right? And so we really like to talk, you know, a, a provide a treat that's package deal, right? So when you come on board, you get an assessment, yes, we can treat. You're going to get a rehab-focused model, so trying to help with what are barriers in life, where are skills that you need help with, resources to match that. Um, you want to talk about a therapist and you want to see if EMDR is right for you, great, we'll do that. If you want to go to a treatment group and talk about your grief and loss with other people who are also addicted to substances that are experiencing what you're experiencing, okay, let's work on that. So kind of tailoring what the person's need is. Um, having a nurse, it's incredible. They can do health education and talk about how are the meds going, having those daily conversations, because you're not going to be able to do that with your doctor. Um, have a psychiatrist who'll be able to manage those medications. And then... Um, case management, right? So much of it is coordinating all the resources and interpreting and assisting and following up because um, there's just a lot of care coordination that needs to happen. Yeah, what, that was one of the things that did surprise me is that um, there's, there's work that's done within the facility of Southeast, but then there's people out in the community working and checking on people mm -hmm. and, and managing that. And I, I can't even imagine um, quite coordinating that. Um, and I, I, we didn't talk about this question, but, um, you know, I know that we have people from other places who watch us and probably other places in the state. Um, how in the heck do you do that over six counties? 
Yeah, <laughs> well, in a limited basis. And I think the other outlying counties around Cass would tell you it's limited. So we have one team that can help serve Steel Trail, Ransom, Richland, and Sargent counties. And they kind of travel around and, and, and do that. We do some telehealth. So that's okay. something COVID was good for, right? It kind of yeah. put all of that on the fast track and expanded our ability to do tele-response. But you know, not a lot of cases is that going to be the appropriate intervention either. Um, and so we, we've made attempts to expand our outreach teams that go to the other counties. Um, but with the travel and staffing issues, that's probably one of the first areas we draw back on to focus on the acute needs that we're seeing. I mean, basically here in Fargo, because we've got emergency rooms, psychiatric hospitals, right. you know, a large jail, um, and just a lot of individuals that are um, accessing shelters mm. and the resources in this area. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, have, I have more difficult questions in a little bit, but um, can you talk about how the open access time works? Sure. And I just want our community and people watching to know that. Yeah. Um, one of the things, I'm just going to put this out, it's my personal opinion, is um, something that we're really bad at in this field is using jargon, our own jargon. And mm. it's ridiculous, right? Like, I like to talk like the way I like I like to be talked to. And so when I say open access, I cringe a little bit because it's walk-in services. It's walk-in. It's like, let's just call it walk-in. Um, we coined a term that's part of a model that we read a book about that got training on and blah, 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 right? Yeah. And um, so it's walk-in services straight, straight up. And so if someone comes in, we try to meet with them and say, okay, here's options. Um, we have a meet with somebody in our, our financial department because that's healthcare, right? And talk about what cost is going to look like and then what's available today versus what might be available down the road. Assessment is a, is a tough thing. So assessment is I have to go in and tell my story to a stranger. And some of our stories are very difficult and some of our stories can be long. And um, going through that assessment process, I think is just, it's a, it can be tiresome. With us doing an integrated approach, right? So you come in and somebody's gonna say, I can assess everything today and make a recommendation instead of those kind of siloed assessments from before. Um, and then the hope is some brief relief, right? Like to say, hey, yes, I see what's going on for you. We can help. Um, and that's the whole goal and idea. Um, the reason we started doing that was because we know the research says that the sooner somebody calls for help and then they can meet with somebody about what that help's going to look like, the more likely they are to engage in some type of treatment episode. Mm. And then the next one is the closer they can get some dose of treatment closer to that assessment time, we know the likelihood of them continuing to work on their goal is better. And that's where we're struggling, obviously, right now. Um, it's, it's a way better feeling to have people coming in the front door when they need it, come in today or tomorrow, whenever it works for you, instead of 12 weeks from now. Um, and uh, I, I think when we made that change, there was a lot of people like, oh, aren't they going to be lining up down the street? It's going to mm. be like, we're mm. never going to be able to serve all. And it's quite manageable. We're yeah. able to, to do that. The one thing that has been difficult with staffing issues has been um, we've, they've converted. We've tried to pool some resources across the state. And so we're doing a lot of tele-assessment because there's individuals that are available through a scheduling process to be able to do that. So you initially. may come into Southeast, but you may meet with somebody else. Whoever's in available. Yep, yep, gotcha. Yep, yep. Okay. And, and we're serving other regions like that too, trying to pull resources across okay. all of the well, system. Well, that's, that's yeah. efficient. Um, if nothing else. Yeah. Um, so what are the hours of the open access or the walk-in? Yep, Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. Okay, so, so, yep. so the point is, is that literally anybody who feels like they need services can walk in to Southeast from 8 to 5, Monday to Friday. They may not get services at Southeast, but they will at least be assessed and directed in a place to go. Yeah, and if you come in at 10 to 5, you know, that the, the assessment takes a while. You may while. have to come back We're tomorrow. We're going to coordinate that, yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll talk through whatever's yep. going on today, but then, yeah. Yeah. So um, tell us, um, um, how, how do you assess the growing needs for services in our community? That, yeah, so that, that question's a little tougher because... It, we know we know that there's a need out there and it's hard to determine 
the amount, right? And even if we do have that data, sometimes I don't think that exactly translates into funding. And so um, a lot of things that we're listening to is our major stakeholders, right? Individuals that we see that are coming through identifying behavioral health needs that are entering our jail system and, and trying to engage in, and interact with that, you know, system to say, hey, okay, who needs help? Who can we help? Um, the emergency departments are a huge one, right? Trying to coordinate who's all coming in that's needing follow-up care. Mm -hmm. First Link, we work very closely with First Link. So they're getting calls and sending referrals our way so that we're able to follow up. And so we're constantly tracking, okay, you know, what is coming in? Who is asking for help? How does that look? And I think you saw this legislative session some efforts to try to say, okay, let's expand if we can. And all of that is driven through us being able to produce and bill to Medicaid for revenue. That kind of feeds itself, right, through federal matching dollars. And I'm not going to get into that because then that will put everybody to sleep. But um, we try, we're, I think there's an effort to try to expand services as much as we can, um, knowing the need is great out there. Um, but I don't, I don't feel that there's a systematic way for us to say, okay, this is, this is where it is right now. There are general studies done with if a population this size, the prevalency rate for behavioral health is probably around this number, right? So we can determine if the population has increased a certain amount, we should see also a correlated increase with people that are struggling with substance use and mental health. And then I think when you see you know, some of the rates that we're seeing now post-COVID, the suicide rates for North Dakota are... Uh, quite intense. Yes. And so I would imagine it's probably even more than that generalization of that number. Yeah. Um, it seems like, um, it seems like mental health has, um, at least grown in public awareness and that, yes. that people are more aware, I suppose partly due to COVID cause everybody was talking about it. Um, and so that there's a heightened awareness, um, and I don't know if it would be would it be your assessment that you know kind of post COVID and our present reality is that it's probably still the same number of people percentage wise who deal with these issues, or do you feel like it has increased just generally in some way? That's a tough question, right? Because yeah, how do you know? Maybe yeah. it is the same amount of people, but maybe people feel less stigmatized in talking about it now. Yeah. You know, like for me, even with my family, because. I'm talking about it, right? They even were reluctant to talk about it in front of me because they know what I'm going to say. Like, you should get therapy. Mm. You know, everybody should get therapy. Mm. And so um, maybe it's just that people are, are more able or wanting to talk about it and get help. Um, that could definitely be something. Um, you've heard others say this, and I know this is um, re getting really big now, and obviously what your guys' effort is, is peer support. Mm -hmm. I think people the studies have shown too that peer support people are more likely to engage with a peer support than a professional and I get that yeah. you know when I'm having bad time or stressful who am I talking to my peers yeah. and um, we had visited a crisis unit in Denver trying to look at their model and they had a hotline and a warm line and the warm line was like you called the hotline number and you could press two if you wanted to leave a message for a peer support who might call you back next or tomorrow right and their numbers on that of people pressing two we're much, much higher than that hotline sure. number in a crisis. Sure. And so, the, I don't know, I, you know, I think that could be the game changer, right, yeah. in helping access or, or helping people through. And you do, at this point, employ some peer support specialists, probably still at the beginning of those stages. But yes, if I could employ 100 right now, yeah. that's what I would do. <laughs> if, we could, if we could employ 100, we would do that. Right, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, um, it's that significant. Yeah, our peer supports are incredible. I, I can't say enough good. We've had such a great experience. Um, they're, they're good for everybody. They're good for us. I love mm. running into them in the hallway. Um, but I, I, think, um, I think that's where things are going to go. I think we're going to see some funding there. So. So um, what are the biggest challenges you are facing at Southeast and in your work? Stigma. Stigma is number one. I think um, there are still these ideas that people don't understand that mental health is health and that mental health is something that we need to take care of just like we take care of our physical health and that there's no shame in that. And so when it comes to things like funding, you know, even giving testimony at legislative session, you get questions about, well, shouldn't people just, you know, kind of, 
buck up and maybe get jobs and feel better about life and get more connected. I'm like, yeah, that would be great. You know, like, yes, and this is healthcare. And so I think um, our healthcare industry is in a really, really sad state. Um, health insurance, reimbursement, being able to provide quality healthcare to all um, is, is huge for, for all of us. And I'm the, the individuals that are serving at Southeast Human Service Center are public servants. They want to serve their citizens, their neighbors. They want to be in um, a place where they're helping those who are, I think are mostly marginalized and um, probably in that poverty level because they feel like healthcare should be for everybody. And so I think that's one of the biggest things. And then probably the obvious answer to this question right now is, is help service providers to do this. Um, training, licensing, attracting employees to want to do public service. Um, it's not glamorous. Uh, it doesn't pay well. It's hard work. <laughs> it's hard work. It's rewarding work. It's wonderful work. And that's what everyone would say that does it. Um, but I think staffing, being able to retain, recruit. Um, and then I think staff taking care of themselves. I think, mm. you know, not, even though these are highly trained professionals doing this work, they're susceptible to the everyday stressors like everyone else. And they're really really good at taking care of everybody else before themselves. Yeah, so I'll put that right. out there. Yeah. yeah. Um, just a, as an aside to our Lighthouse family here that um, one of the things that um, I have shared with you before is I'm, I've realized how um, askew my world and my reality is now because when I'm meeting with like pastors from other churches, um, my assumption is that everybody talks about mental health and behavioral health and goes to therapy. <laughs> and um, they tell me, we don't even talk about that in our church. And so um, our, our perspective here is, is different. <laughs> um, healthy, perhaps, even though we're maybe an unhealthy bunch at times. <laughs> but um, but we, we at least are, are dealing with things. And that, that idea of stigma is um, something I've had to remind myself of. Um, now and then. Um, so, um, so you've referred to the legislature a couple of times. And, um, you know, it, to kind of get into maybe some of the more difficult kinds of areas that don't necessarily, well, they pertain to us, but they're not uh, necessarily something that we spend a lot of time thinking about. I know that uh, there are huge um, needs and barriers in North Dakota yeah. um, for, you know, for us to be able to meet the growing need for behavioral health services. And, um, you, you know, you don't have to share anything you're not comfortable sharing because it's going to be on the Internet <laughs> till Jesus comes. And, uh, um, but I do want to give you an opportunity to just kind of make that appeal and inform us um, so that we can at least be supportive and helpful. I appreciate that, and I appreciate what you're, you're doing. You know, the partnering that we've been doing, the fact that you're destigmatizing just by talking about it, all of that is so good. Um, I think that what we want to do, right, we want to be that beacon in our community. We want to be able to serve all. If somebody comes in for help, we want to be able to take them in and go, yeah, let's figure this out. Like, we want everyone to be feeling better and living the quality life that they want to. And... Um, it's very expensive, right? Healthcare is very expensive. And there's also this idea that, you know, people, you know, either like are deserving or not deserving, right? And there's a, there's a lot of us out there that feel that we all need help and need support. And, um, and what the, what the government should do about this problem versus what the reality is, I think is where a lot of us struggle with, right? Like, um, how do we, how do we get our needs met in our community? How do we pull together? And then how do we voice what we need to get our government to maybe listen to what's going on? And I know that there's a lot of advocates that end up testifying at legislative session, but I think talking to your local representatives and letting them know how things are. Personally, even for, for people that come into my life, um, like you said, your eyes are open, and some people just don't look at the problem or don't want to look at the problem. And I think that ends up impacting the way things get funded or the way that programs get allocated is that some individuals are not aware that it's maybe dire out there or are not willing to look at the problem because it's complex, it's difficult. 
So I know that there's some licensing issues that have been barriers in North Dakota. Is there a simple way to say a word about that? Yeah. So I think um, individuals that want to get into you know the field, it's great. Right. And after the training, the licensing part can be quite cumbersome. And there's several boards. You know, when I first started, I didn't realize this, and nobody gives you like a good roadmap. I don't think. But there's like an addiction board, social work board, therapy board, psychology board, psychiatry board, um, and everybody's licensing everybody and there's different kind of rules, you know, going on. Um, and reciprocity from state to state. That, that was going to be my next question. That has so, been a barrier too, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, so a, a, you know, a therapist or addiction counselor that's been practicing in Minnesota for 20 years isn't automatically just grandfathered and blessed in in another state. They have to go through the licensing process in that state. Now, regulation and quality is good, right? We mm-hmm. want our heart surgeons to be licensed and practicing and in good standing, right? Yep, yep, that's good. I'm not saying that. But it's difficult when we had this situation where we had a, a an addiction counselor who has licensed practicing for 20 years in Minnesota. And she's like, well, I'm going to get my North Dakota license and be dual over in North Dakota too, doing therapy and addiction work. And she had to take a college course um, and then had to do like some licensing hours. And we're like, whoa, gee, you know, in Minnesota treating people in Moorhead, she was fine, you know, but in Fargo, it's not good enough, you know? And so um, some of that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I know that there was some effort and some, um, um, advocating for making that licensing process a little bit easier. I think continues to be, yeah. yes. Yeah. And, um, and it's, it's a lot. It's a lot an individual has to put in. I know um, some individuals have to try to get in therapy hours and supervision can be $100 an hour and they have to get 300 hours of that. Um, the hours that they're putting in, maybe they're not getting paid to do. So it's a, it could be some unpaid hmm. work. So we do a lot of that in, in our, you know, our system. We try to supervise individuals, bring them up, um, train them. And the hope is they want to stay because they fall in love with us and want to do our work. But um, the other thing is just to get more therapists and helpers out there in the community too. And we've seen that. We've got you know, quite a few that have trained with us and then gone into open private practice in the community and are willing to see individuals that have a lot going on in their lives. You know, there's some therapists that will only see this slice of, you know, the population, but we've seen some therapists that have more robust kind of, um, I think, grittiness to their therapy style and will see individuals with tougher problems. I think we talked about this, Selena, but... um um, one of the things that I've experienced, um, and I'd just kind of like to say this for the record, is, um, you know, I've been a pastor for over 30 years, um, but have been in recovery and now at, at Lighthouse um, for um, just a portion of that. And um, I, I would dare say that I served a church for nearly 20 years in Fargo, um, and I had no clue of the complexity of mental health and addiction issues that people in our community face. I had no clue. And and so I think what sometimes happens is, you know, and we were down to the legislature and, and spoke to people some this last um, session, and um, I think that the average person doesn't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think um, my eyes have been opened in my time here at Lighthouse Church um, with just the traffic that we have through here. Um, There are mental health issues and there are mental health issues. There are addiction issues and there are addiction issues. And then there are dual diagnosis issues that um, I'm totally unprepared for. And um, so I... You know, I, I think somehow we we need to kind of, you know, work continue to work on that stigma, but it is it, it's a it's a challenge um, because I, I think that the average person who goes about doing their job and paying their bills and trying to manage their household just doesn't see it. Yeah. And then you layer on top of that, the behavioral health system just went and matched the complexity of the issues, too. It's yeah. complex to navigate the behavioral health system. Very much so. You, you get bounced around. They're using terminology you don't know about. It's not an easy pathway, you know, just to getting help. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah, and you're, you know, you might start somebody on a med without necessarily any knowledge about their abilities to kind of manage that yeah. med and take it on a regular basis. Right. And right. Um, just some of the, so we can talk about that later. But <laughs> um, so here's, here's probably the, the hardest thing that I want to ask, um, kind of related to what I just shared. Um, it seems that so many people um, that I encounter are falling through the cracks. Yeah. It's not that they don't qualify at Southeast. Um, it's just that they're, they're just falling through the cracks for one reason or the other. Maybe not even able to get to where they need to be. Yeah. And uh, they may not qualify for services or they can't get in. Um, they don't have the wherewithal to kind of figure this out. You said the complexity of the system. And, um, you know, we, we see them here too. And um, it, it, it's hard to know what to do. Yeah. And I'm not, I, I don't, that's not a question. Um, it's just an invitation for comment because um, I know, what's, what's, how many people do you see a year at Southeast? Do you have that figure off? You know, a cumulative, I don't know. But on any average given day, we're serving 3,500 open cases. 3,500 open, 3, yeah. open yeah. cases. 3,500 open cases. That's a lot of people. Yeah. That's a lot of people. Um, but just a drop in the bucket in our community. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I always said if we doubled our staff right now, we could fill up caseloads. Sure, yeah. sure. And so um, I don't know... Um, you know, I, I, I don't know what, if you have a word of encouragement or, because we, we are in some ways at the, on the front line here too, in just trying to help and care for and encourage people who um, are kind of falling through the cracks and struggling. Um, I, think, I think individuals that get into this work and do the front line, like what you guys are doing, are willing to look look at the problem and, and, and look at those people and see individuals. And I'm going to take a note from one of our peer supports that's always inspiring for me is it feels very huge. It feels very big. And some people's, you know, lives feel very unmanaged and overwhelming when you start really looking at things, right? But I, I feel more inspired. We see recovery in some of the darkest places mm. and, and people's progress. And, and I'll go back to, it's very complex. There's a lot of barriers, a lot of things with the brain I'm not smart enough to even comprehend. But human connection and being there for someone is, is one of the, the biggest parts. And so I think um, when you have individuals who are willing to just be there with someone in their dark spot and say, I maybe don't know the answer, but I'll be here with you and we'll try to figure it out. I think that's, that's one of the strongest pieces of treatment. Yeah, yeah. So would you be willing to talk a, just briefly about your staff shortages? Yeah, sure. This is one of my favorite things to beat my drum about. Um, I, burnout is so huge. Um, you know, and I think during COVID, this is what highlighted something that was already there. But everyone is like stressed, right? There's this mystery virus going around. Nobody, everybody's lives are turned upside down. Nobody knows what's going on. We can't buy toilet paper. Everything's mm -hmm. a mess, right? <laughs> and um, our, our staff experience that right along with everyone else. And the thing that I think is so noble and wonderful about people that get into behavioral health, and especially I'm going to note public, public service folks, is that they still will, you know, put their coat on and they're going to go to work and go help people live, you know, help their lives first. Right. And so burnout is a huge thing. And we're seeing, I think the crisis and, and you see it in healthcare in general, um, people are leaving the healthcare industry. They're like, I, I'm stressed to the max. I can't do this anymore. I've got to go find relief. I'm going to go do a job that is not so hard. Right. Or that I don't have to hear all these trauma stories every day. Cause I have nothing left you know, to help with my own resilience. And so um, we are, are seeing individuals just say, like, I can't do it anymore. Or I want to help people, but I can't help this complexity anymore. I've got I've to try something else. And I think that's sad. Um, this is a really great field. It's, it's, it's great to work in when you're working with people and the demands of the job, you know, and then when you're after face with things like revenue and shortfalls and all that stuff, um, on top of what you're trying to do, I think it's a lot of stress for individuals. Um, we try really hard to help our staff take care of themselves, and we're really um, culture focused on 
helping people feel good at work, right? Like take care of yourself and not like self-care kind of gets chalked up to like retail therapy or take a bubble bath, but like Mm. real wellness for ourselves. And, and so that we can keep people in the field doing the work that they want to be doing. Um, we're, we're in dire, um, need of staff right now. This is the highest vacancy rate we've ever had. And, um, I, I, yeah, we're recruiting and we're trying to figure out ways to, um, you know, entice people into the field. So like we're going into classrooms and talking to students about coming on as interns, taking them through their internship, doing their supervision, licensing them, and hopefully they want to stay on and and work with us. So, yeah. Um, so I know that it's a pretty serious issue that you're facing and, um, blessings in that. Um, so what can we, as a, you know, organization, Lighthouse Church, Lighthouse Recovery Community, what can we do to partner with you? Um, well, I've, I've really appreciated the conversations we'd had about peer support mm-hmm. and joining up together for referrals. Um, and I, the recovery community in general, but I think Lighthouse also, uh, a huge piece to help support people and offer a safe place for recovery. We're all recovering from something. I truly mm-hmm. believe that. And um, being that beacon of light out there um, for for individuals to know that that the recovery community is out there and willing to help and um, and all doors always open mm-hmm. right I, I think and you guys already know this this is what you do so yeah. um, well we we appreciate um, you coming we appreciate the efforts that you have I've come to respect you and and the work of Southeast a lot um, I also um, have found uh, that um, you know, it, it's overwhelming in so many ways. I can't even imagine. 3,500 open cases at one time. That's a, uh, that's a lot of people. And, um, you know, we, um, we appreciate you being willing to take some time and to share with us. Um, we're going to give a few minutes to some questions. If anybody has any questions that they would like to ask Elena uh, or any comments, um, and uh, take a, just a few moments to do this. If um, We have a couple of mic runners um, if you're online on Facebook, you can write in a question or a comment, and we will uh, take a couple of minutes to do this, and here we go. Maybe identify yourself, stand up and identify yourself. Hi, my name's Jeremy. Um, I went to Southeast about 12 years ago as a dying alcoholic with dual diagnosis, and for the past decade, I've been a very functional member of society. I, I say Southeast literally saved my life. I wasn't a huge fan at the time um, with a lot of things. Uh, It felt a little overbearing, but I needed it. Um, But the question I had is, you know, I'm I'm going to school for psychology, and I would love to work in the behavioral health field, but I'm also somebody who doesn't do high-stress jobs very well. Um, Is there positions within the field for people that maybe aren't able to take on as much emotionally and stuff, but still want to get involved? Absolutely. That's a great question. question. Congratulations on your recovery. Um, Yes, I made it sound dire, and and there's absolutely ways to help. You know, not everything is crisis. Everything's on fire, right? Um, I've just probably been in the boiling pot a very long time. Um, There's there's plenty of, I think, opportunity to make a difference and be there for individuals, um, you know, and then be able to kind of hold some of those boundaries, right? Because we all have kind of our thin spots, too, I think, that make us vulnerable. Um, We're humans, and that's why we're in the human service field. And so... um, Yes, I think that there's all kinds of nonprofits. I think there's a lot of places opening up and expanding right now that are taking on, you know, kind of the continuum of care that's needed in the community. And so maybe if Southeast doesn't feel like that's the right fit. I think the other key piece about if you choose to work in in the field is is the population that we serve that that's why we do our jobs. We love that part. It's who you do it with. Having a strong team, a strong supervisor, support at the workplace is really important. Because having a bad day in this field is like you can go home and talk about it. You have to be careful with a lot of that stuff. And so having people that you're doing it with um, to support you, I think, is a key thing in, in, in being successful. Um, and if you want to talk more details about places, we can talk after, too. Excellent. Good question. Any other questions? Hi, my name is Mark. Um, could you talk a little bit about your 
inpatient and outpatient drug and alcohol treatment. Um, I've taken people in for assessments and um, sometimes they say there's room, sometimes there's not. And I'm not quite sure of, you know, what's available these days and interested in hearing um, what's still going on. That's a good question, South, Mark. South and we, yes. we didn't even get into any of that. I know, I was that, like, that's so. a huge chunk that we didn't even <laughs> talk about. So classic inpatient, and the thing we can all think about um, is the North Dakota State Hospital, right? So that has changed, and that that's a whole nother happy hour. Okay. Um, that has changed significantly over the decades to treat, um, you know, in, in different kind of gap areas and exclusively for those who need involuntary commitment because of severe acute treatment needs. So I'm not going to get into that. But inpatient, outpatient addiction treatment at Southeast, um, you know, sometimes people are still thinking of things in the traditional um, you know, 28 days or, you know, so many groups and then you're graduated and you're done. And ours is really much more open-ended about what is needed, what fits what you need today or, you know, in the future here, tailoring individual therapy and group therapy around that. And then what people are able to attend or get to, transportation needs can be an issue, you know, um, time with with work and whatnot. Um, the inpatient side is residential, and we we operate low intensity residential, which is a classification of an inpatient treatment. So people stay, you know, overnight, twenty four hours a day in a in a setting. It, they can leave any time; it's not locked, um, and receive group therapy, individual, and then a monitored sober living environment. And so that can be as long as it's needed, too. Um, I think that's what people always say, like, well, I'm there for 28 days, and then I'm on to the next thing. But that's, that's really changing in the field. And so if longer is what's needed, we try to do that. Um, sometimes it's shorter that's needed. It just depends. Uh, we have two units that offer that. So we have uh, a 15-bed and an 8-bed unit that we try to manage beds, you know, throughout the region there. Um, and then we have a transitional living unit, so that's a longer stay, six to 18 months um, for rehab services, high-intensity rehab services to help translate or transition someone into an independent living environment. And we have a crisis unit, too. That's not addiction-specific, but um, our crisis unit would take individuals that are experiencing or needing withdrawal management um, for a couple, few days, and then psychiatric crisis uh, would be the other... Um, piece that Are they treat. usually full? So yes, crisis beds. I mean, all of them. Well, we're not. It, we don't run a hundred percent. It's okay. hard to run a hundred percent turnover rate. But um, we always like to kind of be managing so that there's beds available all the time for whoever okay. comes in. So they can be full, and a lot of times going into the weekend, that's what ends up happening. But okay. at any time, we're triaging, and if somebody comes in who's more severe, we'll try to discharge somebody who's more stable so that we can take on that acuity, and that's how we kind of manage that crisis. You does know? does Southeast um, have any relationship with detox units in the community? So we, the state of North Dakota has a contract with the Clay County Receiving yep. Center in the Moorhead side. It does, side. okay, yep. 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 And that's been a great relationship. Yep. They're wonderful over there. And so we work with them and, and, and buy bed days from them mm -hmm. um, to help with that medical detox, which is a huge needed service. Okay. And then we do coordinate with local withdrawal management unit that the city manages um, as well. And so we'll coordinate referrals and back and forth and we're okay. talking beds. So you don't yeah. operate one yourself? Yes, we have a withdrawal management unit ourselves. That's social withdrawal management level. Okay. And then, um, but but if we needed medical detox, we would work with gotcha. uh, okay. Clay County. All right. yep. Yeah. Any other questions? Good question. Thank you for coming, Elena. Thanks. Um, question I have is, um, with the addiction side of it and some of the social um, networking, chatting, pornography, how, how is that? Is that part of the dual diagnosis model? Um, or do you guys address that? Because I've been told you really don't. So substance use 
addiction services is definitely our primary focus, and that's what a lot of people are specialty trained in. When you, when you get into talking about maybe like gambling addiction or sex addiction, um, those are probably areas where people scope a practice that are in the addiction field may tend to lean on someone who's had more specialized training. Not to say that a therapist wouldn't be, you know, within their scope or addiction counselor in their scope to talk about those things and help treat, you know, maybe even in an individual setting, but we don't have any specialized programming for the areas outside of the kind of that substance use addiction piece. And and I, I understand that that might be a gap area. And I know that there's some increased in gambling funding that came through, but as far as like the social media and maybe more of that, the sexual um, behavior stuff, I, I think a lot of individuals would say, oh, I don't know if I feel comfortable, you know, or well and trained enough in that area. So, mm. yeah. Good honest answer. Thank you. Anything else? All right. A couple more. Uh, over here, Beth, and uh, we'll start with Louisa. <laughs> we'll start with Kelly. Go ahead. Um, hi, I'm Kelly. Thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. I appreciate it. Um, what do you know like, about homelessness and, and like, getting people off the streets and that? Hmm. I mean, like... I was homeless for a minute, and it's like I called all the numbers that I possibly could, but just because I lived across the river, yep. I was, it was, there's nothing. And I know. One yeah. told me there and told me here, and it's just like, so what, did, what is happening with that? I can talk a little bit about that. So the one good thing is, is, you know, we are funded by North Dakota taxpayer dollars, right? So our, our mission is to serve North Dakota citizens, but we are also able to serve anyone located in North Dakota experiencing a crisis. We have specialized funding for um, homeless case management, right? So individuals to help individuals get off the street and into a more stable living situation, right? And the hope is to connect with more permanent housing on going, you know, to sustainable um, housing. So, um, so we do have those services and engage with our homeless shelters. This side of the river is a lot easier because this is where we're funded to be and we've got to make sure we follow those rules. However, we do, you know, when we have to engage on, you know, the other side and, and, and working across the river when needed. But if someone was experiencing homelessness and they were in North Dakota, that's what we take at face value, right? That's, you're here now, you have a crisis, we want to connect you, that's what the funding is for, and that's how we would help support that. So kind of starting with basic needs first, right? Case management. And what are what are the things that we need to live today and and what are our future goals so we will do that but you you bring up a good point though because being a border city that imaginary line right really um is can be a huge barrier too when we're talking about systems yeah yeah it, it is for the programs we work with too sure, that sure. um that the river is pretty wide in that i think we're going to wrap up with uh louisa here hi i'm louisa and um, just a quick comment. I actually came uh, to Fargo like about six or seven years ago and literally Southeast has helped me tremendously along with the lighthouse. Southeast has helped me tremendously which provided me with a uh, um, group home at Hope Haven for quite some time and now I'm out in the community living on my own and uh, things are a lot better than they were ever were. I've never had um, a team of people that have helped me as much as you guys have. So just wanted to give you a good shout out. Oh, thank you for that. That was a nice way to end. Yeah. Nice way to end. Yeah. Well, um, you know, there were a couple of topics that came up that maybe we'll have you back um, okay. sometime. And um, I want to uh, thank you for your time and um, God's blessings to you and to your team at Southeast and 
uh, we, we appreciate the partnership that we have in being able to work with you. So thank you for what you do. Same here. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Yeah, thanks. So uh, just quickly, I'll announce our next uh, guest is going to be a returning guest uh, to Happy Hour. We, are, we have invited Amy Wermeyer, who is, I don't remember her exact title, but she's the head of the pharmacy department at NDSU. And um, she was here before and talked about meds and for depression. Uh, we're going to talk about meds for um, other mental health issues, um, as well as some of the challenges that we put ourselves through when we take meds inconsistently. Um, and so uh, we look forward to that. It's June 6th. And uh, again, thank you, Elena, and everybody have a great night. God bless.